Hello, I'm Ashley. And I'm Gary. And welcome to episode five of Choose Film, a real retrospective podcast where we take a deep dive into a random film chosen by our guest host. And each season, you, as you know, we pick a particular theme and review films that match it. And our theme is still the first features. So today we are joined by John McFarlane, who has decided that this episode we'll be taking a look at the wonderful Get Out. So, John, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell you. our listeners a little bit about yourself, please? Yeah, sure. I am a musician and composer. Uh, been a musician for most of my life, and uh, in, in the kind of last few years, turned that into uh, composing for media, um, and that that kind of covers film, uh, adverts, uh, podcasts, you know, everything in between. Nice. And can you tell us why you chose this film? Yeah, so I thought uh, first features uh, it's, it's Jordan Peele's first feature as a, a writer director, um, and it's also Michael Abel's the composer for its first feature film as well. So I thought it's a kind of double header. Absolutely, what a film! And let's start by each giving our rating out of ten for the film. So Gary, do you want to go first? Yeah, I give this a ten out of ten. I think it's a great film, although. All of us are just going to be talking positive about it and then we're going to be done. So I don't think there's going to be too much debates on it. But I think the film's like an absolute masterpiece. And like further down the line, I think it'll be known as like one of the greats, like The Shining or the original Halloween or The Exorcist. Yeah. John, what about you? Uh, I agree. Um, very few films, I think, would, would get a 10. Uh, this is as, as close, I think, as you could get to it. So I'm probably going to go 10. Uh, yeah. as well there's there's little criticism i could i could dig up for it so i'm going a bit controversial because i love this film and i the only fault i have was that it wasn't long enough and it didn't go deep enough for me i needed like double the length so i've given it an 8.5 out of 10 purely because i wanted more of it um so yeah that is my rating so we're gonna go a little bit, give you a little bit of a synopsis of Get Out in case you haven't seen it or you need a little refresh. So here we go. Now that Chris and his girlfriend Rose have reached the kind of meet the parents milestone of dating, she invites him for a weekend getaway upstate with her parents, Missy and Dean. So at first, Creed... <laughs> at first Chris reads the family's overly accommodating behaviour as nervous attempts to deal with their daughter's interracial relationship but as the weekend progresses, a series of increasingly disturbing discoveries lead him to a truth that he could never have imagined. So let's get started and dive deep into Get Out. You got your toothbrush? Check. Do you have your deodorant? Check. Do you have your cozy clothes? Got that. What? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might wanna, you know. Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bro. Meeting families, taking road trips. Don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> so you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? 
So we are going to go around in a circle and look at our three positive points each on the film. So Gary, start us off. Uh, so I'm going to go down the mystery and tension building of the film. Obviously, with Get Out, if you've seen it twice, the second time around, it's a very, very different film because you see a lot of things that you obviously missed the first time. Usually in horror, tension comes from already seeing the monster or the killer. So you'll get a nice cold open of, if it's a slasher film, someone being killed. So then you know to fear that that serial killer or if it's a monster film like, I guess, like something like Alien. You see the alien kill. So then you're looking around corners waiting for it to, to jump out. But with Get Out, the tension actually comes, I think, from not knowing anything and not having a clue of what's going on. We don't quite know what the horror is in Get Out, and I think that is the that's what creates the tension building and makes it horrific. There's a YouTube video that I've subscribed to called Lessons from the Screenplay, and they've done a, a video on it as well, and there's a great quote he uses, and it's, the suburban neighbourhood is usually the victim in horror films, but in Get Out, the suburban neighbourhood is the horror. I think you, that, 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 Gary, that point is, is perfectly like, encapsulated in, in the very uh, first few scenes with the, the kidnap, essentially, at the start, is in the suburban neighbourhood. And that kind of sets up, that subtly sets up, I think, the, the fact that it's, it's the neighbourhood, that's the, 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 the people that are maybe not seen that are the horror there, as opposed to, you know, some kind of monster or some other nefarious entity that we've not seen yet. Yeah, and... Is it Andre's name is? I know he's yeah. called Logan later on, yeah, but Andre, Andre, when Andre is walking down the street just before uh, the car comes, it's very reminiscent of Halloween. And usually you would see Michael Myers at the end of the street watching. So it's kind of that same vibe that it's going for, only it's the, the white car that comes after them. Uh, but yeah, there's, so there's scenes when you watch it the first time round, like when they're auctioning off Chris, but you don't know what they auction them for like you're trying to work mm -hmm. all this out you want to know what's going on with logan uh the gardener and the maid one of the tensest characters to watch on screen for me was the the brother jeremy oh yeah because you're already kind of introduced to obviously rose then you're introduced to the parents and you're like okay they're a bit iffy they're a bit weird but then the the brother comes for dinner and it's that whole dinner scene he's saying all this inappropriate stuff and what makes it even worse is, like, the parents just sit there and don't really say much. And what that reminded me of as well is, have you ever, like, you ever been on, like, a train or a bus and there's, like, the child and it's just not doing what is told? And the parents don't really give the, the child any trouble. They just kind of, like, right, stop. And that's about as much effort as they give. And it was kind of the same and, and get out of this dinner scene where the, the parents are just like, right, that's enough now. But they're not really stopping him with what he's saying they don't actually try and stop him and i think that's because they want to know how chris is going to react to it yeah. and, and stuff like that as well yeah. yeah it was almost a bit like this is what jeremy's like let him have his sort of moment to shine but oh yeah he creeps me out and i i would have liked to actually go deeper into his character as well mm -hmm. i think that would have been good yeah he's this he's to me the, the the scariest character to actually to watch and a lot of the film is filled with conversation after conversation and those conversations are surrounded in mystery and I think the music, more than anything, subtly carries the tension and I'm sure John's probably got more to say in that. <laughs>
Definitely. So, John, (laughs) do you want to actually go on to your first point? Yeah. So the the first thing for me, because I remember when this came out and I saw it in the cinema, um, and I I didn't purposely when I see things that I think, you know, if I know a name, it's attached to something, or if I see something getting a lot of buzz, I purposely try and avoid trailers for it. So I I don't remember actually seeing a trailer for this, um, but I knew of Jordan Peele from his comedy stuff with Keegan Michael Key. For me, like one of my first points is is the balance of comedy in the film. For a film that is as tense, the his use of tension and release is just astounding. And I, I know he he speaks openly about um, he sees a lot of parallels between comedy and horror in terms of pacing and and, and uh, tension and release and, and, and ha, you know having that break. Um, but for me, that that was the kind of first thing that really got me into the film is that little chuckle but that didn't break the tension you know it was enough just to, to kind of keep you entertained but it still kept you and and very much in that that kind of uncomfortable uh atmosphere i read a lot about the character of rod mm-hmm. he obviously is absolutely hilarious and, yeah. I, and, I'm, yeah. and i'm sure we'll, we'll get into his character but i read a lot online about how jordan peele changes a lot in relation to how black people are represented but he kept that almost stereotypical comedy character mm-hmm. as well i loved all of rod's scenes he literally yeah. brought such a like a light-hearted tone to something that was so yeah. so in-depth and serious and i just oh i loved them i loved them i wanted to see more of him too see see in regards to like what we were just talking about um the, the tension and the mystery as well i think we should i don't know if this is one of your points but that twist where we find out Rose is in on it. Mm. Like the first time watching that, it was the biggest like shock ever. And it also reminded me of, I watched a film the other day, it was the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and dead body in the back of that car that they're trying to get rid of and a lot of, a lot of shit's happening basically. And then the sheriff finally arrives. A sheriff is, is like there to serve and protect, but then... He was in on it, everything else that's going on, and you're like, oh my God, there's just, there's no escape. And I got the same exact feeling when you find out Rose is in on it. She, she's my, my scariest character. I know um, uh, Jeremy was, was kind of mentioned earlier as being the, the, the scariest or the creepiest, but I think she comes across even more uh, calculating and a bit more um, measured. So for me, that makes her more dangerous, whereas uh, Jeremy just seems a bit more of a loose cannon and, is, and a bit more loose-lipped, whereas Rose is, is, is a bit more uh, measured and a bit more calculating on what she's saying and when she when she says it. And, and the whole phone call scene with Rod, that's my favourite scene in the film. Um, you know, she you can see you know, she doesn't move a muscle when she's on, on, on the phone call. But you can hear it in her voice that you know the the, the pretense that she's concerned or worried or um and you know and, and it's that performance and, and for me that's that's you know, almost psychopathic that she has absolutely no no uh, remorse no feeling but it's, it's you know it's, it's quite on point with what she's saying and how she's presenting herself i can't remember is it the the blind art dealer who says you're lucky that rose picked you up and not jeremy because he's just like terrorizes them like obviously we yeah. see it at the start with Andre it's like mm-hmm. you know it's like real different methods between the two of them and 
as you said, John, one is really calculated and the other one is like a loose cannon. Loose cannon, yeah. For me, it was a bit with Rose just before we find out that she's in on it and she's looking for the car keys. And it took so long. And that's when I was like, something's not right here. She's not tipping that bag upside down to find those keys. Like, what is going on? And it was so slow. And then you just see each family member at the bottom of the stairs and you're like, oh my God. And yeah, that reveal was just brilliant. Up until that point as well, I actually thought maybe she she had been hypnotised. I think there's a lot of people that still think that. And I think they're wrong. I think it's very much she is like cold hearted she's you know just evil and, yeah. and i think this you know she's she knows exactly what's happening there's been no manipulation she's wholeheartedly kind of grown up through this and, and believes what she's doing absolutely um so on to my first point is actually about the costume so i did notice a lot when i was watching the film at first and then i looked into it more and i cannot believe the amount of meaning that's gone into this costume it just got me so excited and the costume designer was Nadine Haders and the first sort of instance that I noticed it was Chris and Rose wearing red white and blue all the time to sort of complement each other Um, and apparently that was to make the sort of all-American couple you know just what we're loving to see bright bubbly Rose so Rose starts wearing the blue and then she changes into the red and white striped t-shirt at the party. And then if you notice at the party, everyone has something red on except from Chris. So Chris is wearing blue, everyone else has red. And apparently that as well is kind of to signify the Republican Democrat sort of attitude. Um, But also, of course, that everyone is against Chris and everyone's in on it. Now, I did notice that there was one character not wearing any red colour. I did. I don't think he was wearing red. I never saw any, but he might have been wearing something like red laces in his shoes or something. And there is an Asian man at the party um, who is not white. And apparently this was to show that it's not only white against black. It is more of a universal thing against black in the film. Um, and I just think it was done so subtly in places. Like there's little bits on people's shoes that are red and you don't notice it as much in Dean. He's not got as much red. He's got a pocket square and something red on his shoes. And I just thought this, how they symbolise the hatred towards Chris and that was amazing. And I also thought with Logan having the blue in his hat, that matched Chris's blue. I was like, there's the connection there, but obviously Roman is, um, oh, sorry, Logan is changed into the white man's brain. And also just on costume as well, it was only this time that I realised why Logan is wearing a hat and why yes. um, the the grand what's her name? Georgina's, Georgina's wearing the, the or, wig. or yeah the wig in a certain way and the groundskeeper's got the hat on it's obviously to hide the this the scar from the operation mm-hmm. yeah as well yeah because you only see a uh, Georgina's scar right at the end when she's in the car yeah. um there's that scene as well uh, where she's at the window and she's fixing her hair and first time watching it you just think you think nothing of it yeah she's just yeah. fixing her hair but then you realize she's actually deliberately hiding it so so good so yes that was my 
my first point about the costume. I really admired that. And it's not something I always pick up on in, in film. But when I was watching that garden party scene, I was like, there's a reason they've all got little pieces of red. Like that, <laughs> that's not just a coincidence. So yeah, that was my first point. So, it's a good spot as well, to be honest. Like, cause I didn't notice that first time watching yeah. it. So yeah, same. Okay, so with my first point being the mystery and uh, tension first time watching it, my second point is what I noticed the second time viewing it. And so I've just got a wee list here of things that it's just so obvious watching it around the second time. Um, When Andre is getting kidnapped at the start, there's the song playing and it's called Run, Rabbit, Run, mm-hmm. which is... Really, obviously, ironic. Uh, you hear the same song again when Chris is escaping in, in the same car. Mm-hmm. And we kind of dived into this bit a little bit earlier, but Rod says to Rose, you picked the wrong guy. When they're when they're driving to the mum and dad's house, he's like, oh, you've picked mm-hmm. the wrong guy. And then Rose responds with, you're right, this is just a ploy to get to you. And she's joking when she's saying it, but literally, mm-hmm. as soon as she's got Chris, she then starts to try and get Rod. Ah, yeah. Chris, as soon as Chris, Chris is in the basement, basically tied to the chair, and she's basically on the phone to Rod, like, oh, it's you I really want, and tries to flirt with him. And obviously, mm-hmm. that's a real comical scene when he puts her on mute, and he's like, this bitch is crazy. No, no. <laughs> My favourite line is at the very end of that rant, when he, when he unmutes the, the phone and he's trying to record her and she flips and starts, you know, flirting with him and whatever else and he starts freaking out. Favourite was one word at the very end of that and he's, he says, um, I'll try not to swear, but he's, uh, he's like, uh, you know, no, she's, she's crazy. She's, and you think he's about to say she's horrible, she's, you know, she's evil, she, but, but he, he comes back and says she's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> and that, to me, that, that had me in stitches, but... The thing about that whole scene, and maybe come back to it when, when we talk about my third point, um, but for that, that kind of second part of that, his his side of the conversation is hilarious. She's been cold and calculating and manipulative and, and creepy, but the music is keeping the tension. So we'll, we'll come, I'll come back to that. I think that's my mm-hmm. point to give it away. But um, but his whole performance could be straight out of a you know a, a Jordan Peele comedy sketch. It's, you know, it's that funny, but it's set against the tension of the music and the tension of her performance, and it keeps you in that. This is probably still part of my first point, but it keeps you in that that tense atmosphere, but still having some comic relief. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that, yeah, favorite favorite scene in the film. Yeah, it's it's so good. So just a few a few other ones is um, I noticed when Chris and Rose first arrive at her parents' house, most of the decor is white or cream mm-hmm. as well. So there's like the lampshade is white, the walls, the stairs, the armchairs, the curtains. Everything's either white or just off-white, almost going into yeah. cream. Um, sorry, when the dad gives Chris the tour, he also delivers a line, and it's something like, people out here are just as messed up in the head as people in the city. And that's also really ironic because they're really messed up in the head. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, he also says to Chris, there's black mould in the basement. We obviously later find out that's where he's doing the surgery. And then obviously there's the, the party scene just before the auction where all the the auctioneers come over and they start asking Chris these weird questions and doing stuff. So they ask him if he's ever played golf. They start feeling his muscles and asking him about his manhood. <laughs> and yeah. uh, Jim, the blind art dealer, says to Chris, you've got a great eye. And that's obviously because he's he's blind and wants his body and his eyes. 
Um, another thing is Chris is obviously a photographer and obviously that ties into that dealer want his eyes and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But also it's interesting because he's actually watching these upper class white folk through an alternative lens as a black man, but also as a photographer. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said in there as well. Um, the last few ones is when Rod is dog sitting for Chris and he's in Chris's flat. He's got the TV on and a voice says, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure actually that that's Jordan Peele's voice. I think that's his cameo yeah. in it as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's the scene towards the end where Chris literally picks cotton out of the armchair. Yeah. And, and the cotton is actually what saves his life because mm-hmm. he plugs it into his ears so there's lots of uh, like imagery in there and yeah. uh, certain phrases said that obviously you pick up a lot more there's probably so many more that i've missed yeah. or yeah so that's kind of all the stuff that i caught second time viewing yeah, yeah. it was my first time watching it uh, this time through and i feel like i could watch it five more times and still not get everything you know, still not pick up on everything because there's so much in it. Well, you also noticed the the costumes with the red, and mm. I've now seen it three times and still didn't catch that. So yeah. next time it'll be like, oh, you see in that yeah. <laughs> party scene, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so John, do you want to go on to your second point? Uh, yeah. So I'd initially had written down uh, pacing, but I think we kind of covered that. So I'm going to flip and uh, just extend onto Gary's point there. So I think. The, one of the things I really enjoyed about the film was how Jordan Peele was able to to cover so many issues. Now, I think this was made in 2016, so that's it's really before Black Lives Matters became as mainstream uh, in terms of awareness as it is. And yet, you know, a lot of the issues that they, that he was able to put into the film, as subtle as they are, as, you know, covering the, the use of colour and uh, symbolism. But there's, you know, there's you know things like cultural appropriation or white supremacy there's you know there's loads of themes in there about the family and what they're thinking or some of the other people you know they're they're wanting the physical attributes of chris but you know they want to have a, a white person's mind uh, to me that kind of strikes at the heart of of them believing that they are superior to him but they want his physicality they want his as uh, you know his physique or his youth or his strength and i think Peel covers a lot of, of, of myths and, and the kind of mythology around, uh, you know, black Americans or black people in general, but does it in a way that's it's subtle and it's not so bold as to, you know, potentially alienate a mass market. And I think that um, probably kind of came out when um, there, was a, there was a kind of story that they did around when they were promoting the film. I think it was in the run-up to the Oscars. Um, Daniel Kaluuya was, 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 uh, was talking about the film and started to kind of go on about Black Lives Matters and, and the kind of movement. And I think there was there was a number of uh, of Academy voters that basically shut off to the film because of this, thinking, well, you know, what is this, what is this speech, what is this, this, um, this uh, movement got to do with the film and shut off. And I think that was the risk if, if Peel had made the issues so in focus and so blatant a lot of people wouldn't have watched the film or wouldn't have enjoyed the film or, you know, they would, they would think, oh, this is too political. Or, but I think what he was able to do was take these issues, have people talk about them, you know, we, the way we are talking about them just now, um, but still have a film that 
stands in its own right without it being a a, a, a vessel to, to kind of drive home a political message. He's made a good film and has been able to embed a political message subtly through the you know the use of color and and, and you know uh, the script. Yeah. And the, you know the physical attributes of people, or or what you see, as opposed to what you're what you're listening to. So I think that that that's probably the kind of my second point is is how well he encapsulates a number of points around the experience of black people and their treatment throughout the years, but doing it in a way that's sensitive to them, but isn't the main feature or the main focal point of the film. I also think that the the white family in the film like obviously there's a lot of things in regards to race like race is obviously a huge theme of this film but i wouldn't necessarily say that that the family hate black people and in a way they're almost they want to be what they're not i think that's the that's the point is is the kind of cultural appropriation side of it is they want you know they want the 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 physical body but they don't want the struggle or they don't want the the hassle or the the treatment or the abuse that's that's been experienced by black people for hundreds of years and i think that again subtly uh kind of nods towards um you know a lot probably of america or the western world that want uh you know they want black music or they want you know uh, black culture but don't necessarily want to appreciate or or to admit to the fact that there's been oppression for hundreds of years and i think that's the thing is that the family you know they do have in my mind they have thoughts of, of supremacy that they are better but they recognize that you know their bodies are failing and they can then get you know this improved body but they want they don't want a black man's mind they want to have their mind mm-hmm. um so to me that that was a kind of a symbolic point of of the appropriation of of culture um, but without the you know the backstory and the pain that goes with it, those subtleties that you've mentioned, John, are actually what make it more scary, because they just they dip into things, they throw little symbols at you, and actually you're absorbing it all, and it is terrifying the way these people's minds are working and how they they want their white minds and they want their their lives the way they have them. But they just want to use the parts of black people that they think matter the most, and I thought that was really yeah. Terrifying. I think it's it's, it's kind of like a it's a modern uh, version of of slavery. Essentially, I mm-hmm. think uh, you know he's looking at well, historically uh, rich white people used black people for the physical labor. They used their physical attributes, and they were you know they were expendable. And this is exactly you know it translates to to this film that they want the physical attributes of the black people but they themselves i the, the essence of of that person is expendable um so they'll, you know they'll use the body uh you know if that body fails then presumably you know if there's a get out too it would be you know expending that that body and getting another body so to me that that's as, as you know as close a um metaphor for slavery as you could get really that you know they're enslaving the, the person for the benefit of, of the rich white people yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that goes on to my third point, which we've already kind of dipped into. Um, and it is the the symbols in the film. Um, Gary, you've already mentioned the picking cotton out of the chair and he puts it in his ears to survive. Feeding back to slavery, cotton picking to survive. 
um, which was also very subtle and very well used. Another one that I liked was when they are at the auction and they're auctioning Chris silently, which the, si- the silence of that was terrifying as well. And they're holding up the bingo cards and they're all winning tickets. So every single bingo card is a winning ticket to sort of show that the white people are winning. They're at an advantage in this. So no matter what, they're all winning and Chris is losing out. Yeah, I really, really loved that. And another one, which was one that I wanted to point out was when Rose is planning her next victim, probably Rod, um, she's drinking a glass of milk and she's eating Fruit Loops separately. Um, So I didn't know, but milk is apparently a sort of symbol for white supremacy and she's drinking that separately. And I sort of saw it as keeping the whites separate from people who have a skin colour that is not white. Um, and I looked into it and apparently that is something that's been touched on a lot. And Jordan Peele's commented saying that was not the intention. It was just like mm-hmm. a really weird quirk that Rose would have, which absolutely she's going to have these weird tendencies. Yeah, yeah. But he actually really likes that idea. I just know there's so many more in that film that I want to discover as well. There is, there is, I guess it's not really symbolic, but on that is when Rod goes to the police station to tell them that Chris is missing. The police officer is a a black female and she still doesn't take him seriously. And I've read Mm. as well that that's to show that even when there is black people working in the police force, there's still this police prejudice Mm -hmm. towards the black community. Yeah, I think that's symbolic as well. The the fact that um, you know, there's black people and missing in America is significantly higher than than white people, and there's you know there's that is that an inequality of 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 a response really from you know from police or or uh, other services. So I think that in itself is uh, is symbolic. Gary, good point. Yeah, and mm-hmm. not to get into this too much, but I guess like there was kind of an an uproar wasn't there with like the amount of publicity that went into like uh, trying to find uh, Madeleine McCann but there's yeah. been so many other children from underrepresented backgrounds that have went missing and there just wasn't as much of a, uh, there wasn't as much of a issue made of it yeah uh yeah in the in the film it's it's just kind of brushed off to a side the police are a bit like what do you want us to do about it um and it's yeah, I think in- there's, there's. Oh, sorry, Ashley. No, no, sorry. go for it. Go for it. No, I, just, I think as well. There's, there's that. It's, it's a good uh, vessel for for comic relief, um, because you know if you take the take the whole plot of the film, you know, as ridiculous. If you take away all the all the issues that, um, around race, just the idea of of stealing someone's body is ridiculous. So I think it's a it's an ideal opportunity for them just to give, uh, you know, give a, a bit of a pause in the film, give you a bit of a breath. Um, and and it's, it's you know if, if you watch like Brooklyn Nine Nine or whatever else it, those those kind of sitcoms or those uh, uh, sketches are, are quite you know quite easy to do or quite uh, they're quite common. Um, so I think it's a nice little pause and it's there's, it adds a tiny bit to the story. But I don't think the the symbolism was like the main point of that. I think it was just to give them a nice easy you know breath for, for a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you need to take you need time to take it all in as well. There's so yeah. much going on constantly, um, and yeah, taking that in, it is a film that I think you need to watch two or three times to really, really 
get deep into it. And maybe if I watch it again, my rating will go up because I'll feel deeper into it as well. And so, Gary, do you want to go on to your last point? Yeah, so my last point is actually going back to the brother Jeremy and it's a line that he says mm-hmm. at the start. Uh, he says to Chris, with your genetic makeup, if you really push your body, you would be a beast. And it's actually about the themes of just that line because during that dinner scene, Chris really isn't up for having that conversation at all. He keeps trying to turn the topic onto something else. Mm -hmm. Chris and Rose go to bed. There's a cuddly lion sitting next to his bed and he turns it away so it's Mm -hmm. not looking at him. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like trying to turn the topic or the conversation onto something else. In a way, by the end, he actually does have to turn into this animalistic person to survive mm-hmm. so he stabs the dad with the the stag head he, he stomps the brother to death basically yeah. it's a real brutal scene you just hear the stomps going on and then he attempts to choke rose to death as well but he does he decides not to so he almost has to become this beast like animal to survive and get out pun intended but then <laughs> he doesn't um he doesn't lose himself to it by the end of it he's like no i'm not I've won, I've got out, and I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to kill Rose. Yeah. Uh, and it reminds me, actually, of another film, and that is 28 Days Later. So I'm going to spoil the end. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sorry, but... So in 28 Days Later, it's pretty much a zombie film, but rather than it being zombies, the, the creatures are infected with rage. And at the end, the military have kidnapped two of the characters in it, and the third character basically has to just go on a rampage and kill all the soldiers to save, basically, his surrogate family. And he actually almost becomes infected with rage to save the day. And it's yeah. very similar in, in Get Out, where he has to become this animalistic person to to get out. So there's a very similar themes in both those films. Yeah, he almost becomes what the the myth in America, the, the dangerous black man. There's that perception among white supremacists that, you know, black people are dangerous and the black people commit all the murders. And so I think there's there's a kind of nod to that, that, you know, he's, he's becoming, for that moment, that stereotype that white supremacists have got. And then he catches himself and realizes, you know, you know I'm, I'm not, I'm not this. I'm not. I'm not doing what you know. It's not me. It's not who I am. I think that's a throwback. Well, that's the way I took it. I don't know if that's if that was intended or not. But yeah, it's almost at the end. Uh, Chris's strength is displaying what the white family are after. Yes. So, John, last point. Yeah. Point. Point uh, three would be music. Um, I think music is great in the film. Um, I think from the very start of the uh, even before they, they shot this I think Jordan Peele knew exactly what he was wanting and I think that comes across um, and I, I can't remember where I've read it but I remember reading um, that he, he basically wanted someone to do the music for it that had maybe lived some of the experiences of Chris um, so I think you know he's, he's, he's found an authentic voice in Mike Labels and it's his first film um, as composer, he's, he's more a concert composer. Um, but I think having that authenticity really comes across. And uh, the you know, the use of um, Swahili voice in the film, 
and again, I think it's 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 far less subtle, but the translation of it is, is something like "Listen to your ancestors, get out." Yeah, listen, brother, get out. Um, but it's musical and it comes across really well, and it sets the vibe that that there is a deeper meaning to the to the film than just a horror film. Um, so I think that. And you know the the and the, the the subtleness of the music in the right places, because um, I think the music follows Chris and his experience. Even when Chris isn't on screen, it's still from the viewpoint of Chris. So that that scene that we spoke about earlier with the phone call, the performance of Rod um, is quite comical. Rose is quite clinical. But the music stays in the voice of Chris and it's still tense. Mm-hmm. So when if you watch that scene back and try and focus on what the music's doing, it stays tense throughout, even when Rod starts with the kind of you know, the comedy um side of it. So I think the music throughout is, is brilliant. Um there is there's a few kind of horror cliches, but it serves the film. Um so yeah, that's 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 my point three. Yes. I also love the music and because I knew you had chosen the film, I was like, I'm not talking about music because I know John will. Um, but you're right, the use of the Swahili is incredible. And I feel like it just gets that tension right into your subconscious so that it's it's there. No matter what's happening in that film, it's there. Yeah. Yeah, and the music's used at the right moments. I think what makes a great composer as well is they know when not to put music in as well as yeah. when to put music in, you know, like the scenes there where it's, it's not needed. I think that's that's a great point because it is, it's easy easy just to, to go wall-to-wall music, but it, it, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's like gravy. You know, you put too much gravy on it, you're going to you're gonna ruin it. Yeah. Having, having space does, you know, in itself, serve a purpose. Um, it, you know, and, and other, like other films like... Uh, don't breathe uh or um a quiet place quiet place that's the one i was trying to think of <laughs> it could be it could be so easy to have something going on there when there's nothing else happening but it totally takes away from the point of what what you're supposed to be feeling um and i think like there's a couple of scenes in get out where it had the same effect as a quiet place where people in the cinema were, were scared to eat the popcorn because they didn't be, want to be the one to make the you know the noise it's probably it's, that's probably the kind of collaboration element of it because you know mike labels might well have wanted to put music in there and jordan peele said no this is this is staying put or vice versa jordan peele might have said we need music here and mike labels had said no i think this works without so i think the the collaboration certainly um behind the music to me is 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 massive because it's jordan peele's first uh, feature film as as director Mike Label's first feature film as composer to sell that that would be quite difficult because if you know if you've got if you've got um any sort of budget any sort of money people behind us and you know they'll be want to try and get at least a name or someone that's that's done a film before so that they know they can get the film uh, score done on time on budget so you know that is a risk and I think John Peel obviously felt quite confident in backing Mike Label's and they had that conversation and they had the the authentic voice and the ideas behind it. So I think as much as the, the score's good in itself, I think the, the whole backstory to the score is really, really interesting. Uh, they've obviously set themselves up as a, as a, a you know, a continuing um, collaboration in us, which could be another podcast episode. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, my feelings on us aren't as strong as my feelings on Get Out. I, I watched us, and I've watched half of us because it freaked me out so much. I was like, I'm not sleeping tonight if I continue this. So yeah, I might need to revisit that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's that voice again, casting in, in, oh. in clear, clear uh, idea of what they were doing. But I think that's that's it. Kind of speaks to like having a, a clear idea of what you want as a completed uh a completed uh, product and then how you get there is using the people that you've you've got trust in and i think that's um john peel's clearly had trust in mike labels to to go away and you know other heads of department and stuff in the film to go away and come back with their ideas so you know the use of color might well not have been john peel's idea you know that could have been their costumer or yeah um, you know the use of swahili might well have been mike labels you know i think it probably was to come back and say you know yeah it's not authentic language that slaves would have used but it's probably the, the most musical african language that we can we can set some music to how do you feel about this so i think that the, you know the collaboration comes across really well that He's had the trust to go uh, to to the people that are you know experts in those individual parts and, and come back with their ideas. Um, so going on to my final point is how Rod picked Chris up at the end, and it was in some terms a happy ending. I loved that because when I saw that police car come in, and I know other people will have thought this too. It, I thought it was going to mirror the earlier police scene where mm. they're kind of asking for Chris's ID when he wasn't driving the car um, against the black community. That's exactly what I thought it was going to be. I thought they were going to see Rose on the ground almost dead and arrest Chris. And it wasn't that. And I think that is exactly what the film needed. It was so beautiful to see Chris being picked up by Rod and you just knew he's he's got out. He has mm, got out. Yeah. And um, apparently I read that this was actually an alternative ending by Peel. So it wasn't the uh, initial ending. It was going to mm. be mirroring that scene and Chris getting arrested. But he thought that that is not what the world needs. No. Can you imagine how heartbreaking it would have been? Because there was huge black audiences for this film and and uh, uh, us as well. Can you imagine how heartbreaking that would be for them to come through all the way that, that's through this film and, and the, the journey of Chris for him to be you know arrested or probably shot on screen, you know, and and they're getting that's happening you know daily if not weekly in America. It would it would be too blunt a tool politically and it would be too sore. I think for for a lot of people to to actually have enjoyed the film and and and, and you know and be entertained i think he's made the point quite clearly throughout the film and you know he's, he's been able to have a, a happy ending which is you know isn't always the case and uh i, th- I think it's it wraps it up neatly as entertainment you know as entertainment it makes a point but it's entertainment and it's enjoyable at the end of it because you know you've came away with on a, on a high and i think it, it you know it probably would have been I think they probably shot both, you know, and, and looked at both, um, and probably tested both as well. Um, but I think, but absolutely, whoever's whoever kind of made that decision at the end is is definitely made the right one. Yeah, absolutely. Has anyone got any nitpicks or anything they didn't like about the film? Which I know is hard for this film. <laughs> um, I've got two mm-hmm. quick points. Um, 
one, I've only got one nitpick. When Rosie's dad is cutting Jim, the blind mm -hmm. uh, art dealer, he's like started the operation before Chris is even in the room. It didn't really make sense for an operation to be started before both patients are in the room. So yeah. that's like just one of my only, only nitpicks. And the other thing is we've not really spoke about cinematography at all or the sunken place. Yeah. But one scene, I think it's the first time Chris is taken into the sunken place. He's hypnotised and he's paralysed in the chair. And it switches to Chris's POV and he's looking at Rosie's mum, Missy. But she's out of focus and it's almost like his eyesight is also paralysed. So it's not until she moves she comes into focus and it's a real nice, uh, beautiful shot. My only nitpick, with, well, there's a couple of kind of cliches and stuff which never you know i always think you can try you can try harder you know lazy lazy writing using chloroform things like that because it's just it's not realistic in the slightest but would you know that john <laughs> yeah, well, my, my, my girlfriend's a veterinary scientist so she every time it happens in a film she's like that doesn't work that doesn't happen <laughs> um so uh the uh sunken place for me was almost kind of felt like we've put this in because we can make it look nice or because we can show some show some of the budget here to me it didn't add a huge amount to the story we, you know I'm, i don't know i've never been hypnotized and i don't know how it works but i thought that just felt a bit too long and it was almost like we're trying to show off this you know we've, we've spent money and time uh making this shot so we're gonna you know maximize it but that is really drilling down into nitpicking. Yeah. yeah, I like I actually had that down as one of my points that I loved. And it's actually for that reason. Like it is just it's a great shot. Well, mm -hmm. compilation of shots. And I loved how serene Missy was, just sitting there, like nothing was phasing her, while Chris is in this sunken place and he's reliving his mum's death and then the floating and oh everything I just thought it was beautiful <laughs> I loved the muffled voices and seeing um him being able to see Missy through that sort of like a framed picture mm -hmm. um yeah I thought it was beautiful but I totally agree it it doesn't need to be that long not no. at all it just reminded me probably of see the the bit in train spotting with the the when he, he sinks into the floor into the, yeah. or sinks into the coffin or I kind of like the first time I saw it and every time since that's the first thing that comes back to mind is like they went for this kind of Danny Boyle shot um, but modernised it and uh, you know made it a bit more ethereal yeah it reminds me of Trainspotting and also the Scarlett Johansson film that's set in Scotland yeah um, what's yeah. that called where she plays the alien yeah uh, it was terrible Oh, I don't know. I've not seen that. I can't remember, but... <laughs> Under the skin. Under the skin. That's the one. The <laughs> the sunken place, for me, what was nice about it is it gave you a, a look into what Andre and Georgina must be feeling yeah. like, how they must feel entrapped. Because they're still in that body along with yeah. the new white person. That's so true. And it's when you see those little breaks, it's when Chris asks or says to Georgina, like, when there's too many white people, I get nervous. And then she just starts to break. It's in her eyes. And you see that she's yeah. she's coming out and then she pulls herself back together. And then obviously with the photograph of Logan yep. and he has the, what they call a seizure, 
I thought those moments were beautiful and I think you're right like that sunken place does it does give you a sense of what they are going through mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh oh I love I love it and um, my only nitpick was the the surgery scene at the end I didn't like it I thought it was too a bit too theatrical which is weird because I love I love that hypnotizing scene which was very theatrical but yeah I just thought at that point in the film I was so I was so deep into it and I, I just felt like it took me out a little bit it becomes almost a different film which obviously that's what they're going for it almost the full film takes this 90 degree turn yeah it becomes a horror film doesn't it really mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's the scene the cutting of the head and I just thought ah, we've not we've not really had anything that um Corey. explicit yeah. yeah um so that was my only nitpick but literally that was searching <laughs> searching <laughs> for one so uh, I loved chatting about this film and I highly doubt your guys ratings of the film have changed but have they Gary no no, no I'm still sticking no I'm them. I'm standing firm as well yeah and I'm going to raise mine to a 9 out of 10 just because I do want to I do want to get deeper into it, but that's literally the only thing holding me back. (laughs) Um, So we will have a quick little break. you something that's not my experience not at all the armitages are so good to us they treat us like family okay so we are ready for our quick fire quiz round so gary and i have five Mm -hmm. questions each for you john um these will just be fun there's no pressure. Um, Not for you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's honestly, it's just fil- uh, film. It's just film. It's just fun. Um, cool. And yeah, there's no bearing on your knowledge of the film. So don't worry. Gary, you can start us off. Three, two, one, go. Okay. The blue title credits at the opening of the film are a homage to what Stephen King film? Oh, uh, Shining. Correct. Yes. What is Rod's job? Uh, it's TSA. Yes. What does Rosie's dad say he hates when Chris and Rose arrive? Uh, lateness. Nope. Deals. Ah. Ah. <laughs> um, what is Rosie's grandfather's name? Uh, Roman. Yes. What breakfast cereal does Rose separate from her milk? Fruit Loops. Yes. <laughs> what does Chris kill Dean with? Uh, stag antlers. Yep. Who runs directly at Chris when he's taking a walk in the garden at night? Roman? Yeah, the gardener or Walter at that point. Yep. But yep, yep. Okay, a true or false one from me. Get Out was named best rated film of 2017 on Rotten Tomatoes. True or false? True. Yes. Okay. 
After Chris is taken prisoner, what is hanging on Rosie's wall as she's searching for her next victim on the laptop? Uh, photographs. Yeah, photographs of her previous victims. Yes. And last like but not least, where is Daniel Kaluuya from? Britain or America? Britain. Yes. yes. Well done. I you think, did well on that. Yeah, I think you got one wrong. That's not bad. The tardiness one. Yeah, yeah, I think you might be in the lead, John. Well, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, you are Rachel. We should probably work that out, actually. Yeah, the leaderboard. Um, so let's leave Get Out There. I have loved talking about it with you guys, and I feel like we could just go on and on. Yeah. <laughs> on and on with this film. So let's get into our little fun segments for rounding off the show. So we're going to start with our fun fact of the day. Gary, do you want to take it away with your fun fact of the day? Yes, so... Dolly Parton is not blonde and actually wears a wig. No. Yep, her husband doesn't want to be in the spotlight, so she goes out without her wigs on with like normal hair and normal clothes, and she basically clapped Kent's the shit out of her daily life. I love that. <laughs> Go Dolly. I honestly think that's great. John, have you got a fun fact for us? Uh, yes. Um, I don't know if it's common knowledge or not, but uh, when... Just before Finding Neverland was being filmed, Johnny Depp spent about like three months in Scotland and he's got a whole number of disguises that he uh, wears in public just to go out and, and pick up on accents and cultures and find that fascinating. Oh, I love that. I love that. Your two uh, facts have been kind of related. Yeah, actually. that's weird. <laughs> uh, on on uh, Johnny Depp there as well, um, supposedly when he was trying to... Um, sort out his accent for Alice in Wonderland. He uh, watched like ten seasons of Rapsi Nisbet <laughs> to 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 try and get it right. And supposedly he would like not understand a word of it in season one. Then by like season two, he started to understand it. And then by season three, he was like actually laughing. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, I love it! That's so hilarious. good. So my interesting fact is not related in the slightest. It is. The 100 folds that are in a chef's hat represent their level of skill or 100 ways to cook an egg, apparently. Who knew there were 100 ways to cook an egg? I didn't even <laughs> know there was 100 folds in a chef's hat, so I just got two <laughs> facts for the price of one. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there we go with our fun facts. Um, now to end the show... Uh, we're all going to mention a short film that we've watched recently that our viewers can also watch that we have really loved. Gary, what's your short film you'd like to promote? Yeah, so mine is a really short, short film. It's only three minutes long. Uh, it's by a company called Storm Films and it's a comedy called Mop. There's basically no dialogue in it. It's all told through visuals and it's it's very funny. It basically starts off with... A janitor who's mopping the floor and he forgets to put out a wet floor sign and an incident occurs and i'll leave it there i mean i can't really say too much it's only three minutes i'd basically tell the full story if i said any more so yeah and you can find that on youtube nice nice um john have you got a short film for us yeah yeah so uh, a friend of mine uh aaron wrote a, a short horror film called cleansing hour um, and it did really well across the festival circuit. I'm pretty sure it's online, uh, com, and I think it's on YouTube and other such like sites. Um, but it's uh, 
also now been made into a feature film, which is on Shudder. So I would highly recommend watch the short film. It'll give you an idea of what the feature's about and then watch the feature film on Shudder. Cleansing Hour. Nice, a two-parter there. Yeah. yeah, it's a cracker. Maybe maybe if we get John back on as a, a host at some point, maybe we could look at that film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it could be fun. That sounds yep. good. Um, and my short film is called Take Your Partners, directed by Siri Rodness, um, and it is available on her website and Vimeo. And it's a really, really beautiful film that challenges gender expectations, and it follows an eight-year-old called Ollie who is discovering who they are whilst kind of having to fight against society's expectations of gender. And yeah, it's a really important film and I loved it. I've watched it a couple of times. So go check that one out. So thank you so much, John. It's been great to talk to you about this film. It's been fun. Thank you for choosing Get Out as well. Um, Yeah, absolutely amazing. And can you tell our listeners where they can find you and your work? Yeah, of course, uh, johnmcfarlane.co.uk or uh, Instagram, Twitter is probably the most active, uh, JMC Composer. Um, Loads of new music and stuff coming out soon. And are you working on anything in particular that's coming out in the future, John? I'm writing a suite just now for a film that should be shooting next year, Virus Dependent. Uh, It's a a Scottish feature film. Um, So I'm writing for that just now and uh, a few other bits and bobs and production music and stuff on the go just now. But need more people to make films during this pandemic because it's going to be with us for a while, I think. so. Yeah, and I should probably say as well that... um, John is a fantastic composer who has now composed four of my films. Um, so, yeah, check out his work. And if you are a filmmaker, uh, drop him a message. Yeah, please do. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm really excited to keep up with more of your work, John. Definitely. Oh, um, so I'm Ashley Sutherland, and you can find me at, at AshSutherland4 on Twitter or at AshleySutherland on Instagram. And I'm Gary Hewitt, and my Twitter, Insta, everything handle is at Pro. And where can they join us for conversations? Yeah, please? join in the conversation on Instagram at Choose Film Podcast or on Twitter at Film Choose. Or you can also email in at choosefilmpodcast at hotmail.com. Please send us any short films that you've made you've been in or you've watched and recommend because we will uh, mention them on the podcast we'll watch them i personally love watching a short film so send us as many (laughs) as many as you like if you've got any suggestions for themes or maybe suggestions for films that you'd like to talk about or even any comments give us a shout we'll always get back to you thank you so much for listening to choose film podcast um, and for all your reviews and lovely comments so far join us next time where we will be reviewing alien free alien three with gordon miller it's going to be a good one so make sure you watch alien three maybe alien and aliens as well to prepare yourself and join us next time thank you so much thanks bye this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. The fire